Hey, my name is Jason. I'm the producer of Relationship Radio. I wanted to let you know that we have a brand new website solely dedicated to working on your pies. Introducing itstartswithattraction.com. You can listen to every episode, learn about the pies, and sign up for our weekly newsletter. Go to itstartswithattraction.com. It starts with attraction, one word. It starts with attraction.com to get signed up today. This is Relationship Radio, an extension of Marriage Helper International, hosted by renowned marriage and relationship expert Dr. Joe Beam and CEO of Marriage Helper, Kimberly Beam Holmes. We answer your questions directly with research-based principles that you can implement immediately. Regardless of the situation, what we teach will not only make your relationships better, but will also help you to become the best version of yourself along the way. Turn up the volume and prepare to take notes as we begin this week's episode of Relationship Radio. We've been talking for the last couple of weeks about a specific and special kind of love called limerence. You see, in the social sciences, we can measure different kinds of love. There's such a thing, for example, as passionate love. But limerence is even more intense and beyond that. There are other kinds of love, like uh, intimacy, like commitment, all those kinds of things, like empty love. But what we want to talk about today is the third phase of limerence. In the first program, two weeks ago, we talked about the initial stage, which is called infatuation. Then last week, we talked about the next phase, which is called crystallization. And now let's talk about how that this thing called limerence ends, and we call it deterioration. Hey, everyone. Welcome to today's show, which we're excited about. We're, fi- we're finishing up the three <laughs> phases of limerence. <laughs> I'm getting tongue-tied, and Joe thinks it's funny. <laughs> you know, this program couldn't start any worse. <laughs> you know We've what, We've had technical though? difficulties. Now you're getting tongue-tied. Blah, 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 blah. I'm getting tongue-tied. So, you know what's funny, though, is I've actually had people stop me at a workshop or wherever, and they say, you know what we love about the show? What's that? Is how we know it's not scripted. <laughs> because, <laughs> and interestingly, a lot of times they'll point to how you and I fight. Which is funny because I never think we fight. I don't think we fight either. I know, but people just enjoy our interactions, <laughs> our disagreements. Our disagreements. And so if you really <laughs> like those kinds of things, if you like the technical difficulties, the tongue-tied, et cetera, you've enjoyed this so far. So let's say we well, can get to the topic maybe. In this phase, it's kind of where the person who's been in limerence starts to wake up in a sense. That's correct. Now understand that limerence is an intense kind of love. It's categorized by this deep, deep longing for reciprocity from the other person. feels about you like you feel about them. To the point where you can spend up to 85% of your waking hours thinking about this other person. You think about all the good times you've had together, the times you've enjoyed with each other, but a lot of the time is also spent daydreaming about the future you will have together. And so this obsessive thinking, this uh, this not being able to get past, as a matter of fact, one of the differentiations between it and the other kinds of love is that people who feel this madly in love feeling called limerence feel they have no control over it, that they couldn't stop it even if they wanted to. Yet, it always ends. 
Now, in the first stage, it's kind of watching the other person and thinking, maybe, maybe not. When you get up closer to the second stage, which we talked about last week, this crystallization stage is where you're convinced that nobody's ever felt this before. You can't even explain it to anybody because nobody's experienced it. And that you two were meant for each other, that you're soulmates. Yet you're hyper, hyper vigilant watching the other person, looking for any sign of acceptance or rejection. What you want is that person to be feeding back to you the same emotions you feel toward him or her. And if you see any sign, whether it's real or imagined by you, that he or she may not be doing that, that he or she may be pulling away, that that might be fading a little bit, you have all these negative emotions. And so you go to ecstasy when you think, wow, he, she loves me, to misery like, oh no, he or she's pulling away from me. And then you think this is going to last forever. It's going to even out at some point because you focus more on the ecstasy feelings than the agony feelings. You think at some point it's going to even out. We're going to be happily married to each other or together for the rest of our lives. And it's always going to be this unbelievable intense emotion for each other. That's what it feels like. That's what you believe is going to happen. That's not what's going to happen. Now, I know that when I talk to people who are in this phase, even toward the end of phase one or definitely in phase two, they say, no, 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 you're wrong. I will always feel this way. He, she will always feel this way. And I know that's what you think now. And you believe it, not just think it. You're convinced it's going to be like this, but it's not. It will eventually fade. Now, there's ample research about this. There's even a biological and anthropological reason that it has to fade. Because you see, in this state, you can't function in life the way that you want to. Oh, when you're in ecstasy, you might be really, really good at something. But then you go into that misery phase. That, does she love me? Is he still going to be with me? Is he or she pulling away? And in that misery stage, you become unproductive. Even in the ecstasy stage, you can be unproductive because of the fact that it's so absorbing and all you can think about is this other person. And so from a biological standpoint and an anthropological standpoint, the human race could not continue if people went into that phase, that stage, that intense level of emotion and stayed there. It has to end. It has to. And when it does, you start going into that third phase we call deterioration. But but just like the other phases have been not linear, but all mixed up, up, down, in and out, the same as here. Because when you go out of that second phase, that crystallization into deterioration, it's not a clean, clear-cut thing. It's more like this, 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 back and forth, back and forth, and still the emotions going all kinds of crazy ways. And it may be... As a matter of fact, almost always is that one person begins to deteriorate before the other. And typically, as a matter of fact, most often, the person that went into limerence faster than the other is the first one to start pulling out of limerence. So if you went in faster and first, you may be the first one to come out. It's not necessarily going to happen that way, but most likely is. And as that person is doing these kinds of things, the other person who's still in crystallization does everything he or she can to pull them back. They, they get sick. They, they faint. They wind up in the hospital. They, they use all kinds of guilt tactics like, you can't leave me now. Look at all I've given up for you. They remind them of all the bliss they've had together and the dreams that they've shared. They do everything they possibly can to pull this person back up here. And often they do. So the one that's going out of limerence first is often pulled back up by the other, but it doesn't last forever. 
As a matter of fact, this this person, the one that's going out faster than the other, actually begins to get a little irritated with it as it goes along. Like, I don't know that I can live in this kind of intensity. And then he or she often begins to feel guilty about the fact that they've been in this relationship, particularly if they were married to somebody else to begin with. And it's like, I don't know how to live with this. I don't know how to deal with this. And then the misery comes, the guilt, etc. Now, a person in deterioration, if they're married to somebody else, does not necessarily go back to this person. Have we talked about why? I don't think so. Okay. What Do you know what? I do know why. <laughs> I knew that you did. I'm, of course. I'm just doing all the talking. I wanted That's you to talk. True. Well, yeah. So just because someone comes out of limerence doesn't mean that they suddenly turn back and say, I want to go back. Because there may have been issues in the marriage before the affair occurred. And there may have been things that happened as the crystallization, you know, throughout the whole process of limerence that they're looking back at their spouse and saying, you you pressured me, you did this, you did that, you tried to control me. I don't want to go back to you. I don't love this person anymore, but I don't love you either. And so I'd rather just be alone. Yeah, that happens a lot. Mm-hmm. As a matter of fact, what's going on here is the fact that there's a general principle that people don't leave what they have unless they believe what they're going to is better. And so in this process, they have actually convinced themselves that being with this other person is better than being with the spouse that they're leaving, mm-hmm. if indeed they're leaving a marriage for this. Mm-hmm. And and they'll vilify often that spouse. They exacerbate all his or her flaws, all those kinds of things. Mm-hmm. And in the process of doing so, they've actually painted a mental picture of this person being bad for them. Now, as Kimberly just said, if in misguided efforts to save the marriage, and we're assuming then that this is somebody who's leaving a spouse, in misguided efforts to save the marriage, this person might have done some very negative things. Might have been mean, uh, may have whined, begged, pleaded, may have tried to control and dominate, tried to manipulate, all of which convince this person even more, I don't need to be with you. Because remember, people don't leave what they have unless they believe what they're going to is better. And so you get over to this final phase, and Kimberly was hitting it right on the nose there. What happens then is, as I'm falling out of limerence, out of love, if you want to call limerence love, and it is a kind of love, then then this person, I begin to think, I don't know if I want to be with him or her. I start pulling away from this person, but because I have so vilified my spouse, if I left a spouse, for example, to be in this relationship, or and or my spouse has done so many negative things that you just mentioned, I don't want to go back to him or her. That's why we teach people, if your spouse is in limerence and you're trying to save the marriage, there are certain things you don't do. Just don't do those things. Now, we don't have time to talk about them in this program, but if you do, you actually push your spouse into the arms of the other person. Now, that sounds bad. I don't mean to say it's your fault. I really don't. But while that person is going through that, if there are certain things that you do, it actually propels them toward the other person, even though you're not the reason that he or she's leaving. You actually can cause that to happen where she goes to the other person. I'm saying I'm not saying that well. Help me phrase that better. I think you're saying it the best way we well, know it. But I don't how. want to make it sound like it's this person's the other spouse's fault. Right. I understand that. But it. Uh, Yeah, I mean, that's just kind of what it is. I'm trying to think of another kind of analogy. You don't mean to. It's not what you're trying to do. But in their minds, it's pushing them towards the other person. 
Right. And so it has that effect whether right. you mean it to whether or not. Whether you want it to or not, it's just the truth of it. And so therefore you need to stop doing those things. Now we right. don't have time to talk about in this program what that is. Right. Kimberly will tell you how to find resources about that in just a minute. And then when you get down toward the end, then it's like most of these people then do not wind up together if one of them left another relationship for it. Now, if they're two single people and they didn't really lose anything, then they might actually wind up with a different kind of love over here and wind up marrying each other and living for years and years as husband and wife with a good marriage. But the people that actually have given up things like mm. a marriage, um, mm. like friendships, like mm -hmm. other kinds of things that were important to them to be with this person, those are the ones most likely not to develop a long-term relationship with this person. Yeah. So if you're over here, if, if you're watching and you're in the deterioration phase and you're thinking, how do I get out of this? I mean, I've gotten to the point now where I regret that I was in it. Sometimes I still feel those surges of passion toward the other person, this longing to be in reciprocity emotionally with this other person. But more than anything, I find myself wanting to get out of this and I don't know how. Hmm. How do they get out? What do they do? Of which part? <laughs> 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 this program has got to go down as the most confused <laughs> program we've ever done in our lives. <laughs> if they're trying to leave the limit relationship, yeah. what do they do? They cut off all contact. Now, that's awfully hard to do. Right. Because these emotions sit and go, they're still going like this. Mm -hmm. And so sometimes they'll decide, I'm going to cut off all contact mm -hmm. and do it. Mm -hmm. And then a day or 45. I was talking <laughs> or 45 days. Well, the only reason I say that is because I was speaking with a couple who came to our last workshop and this was his this is what he was saying. I mean, he's definitely in this space right now of I have very strong feelings for this other woman, but I know the right thing to do. I just mm -hmm. don't feel like that. Right. And so he said, you know, I've tried to cut it off multiple times. I've tried, mm -hmm. you know, I, I stopped talking to her and then 45 days in, I contacted her, yeah. you know, and that's what it always was. And it's like, well, why aren't these feelings fading if they're wrong? Why aren't they fading? Well, you know, I have great desire. I'm a, I'm a recovering alcoholic. I have great desire for alcohol and what alcohol does to me. You might ask the same question. Wait a minute. You guys that, that go to AA and that have been parts of programs to get sober and stay sober for many, many years, you still sometimes feel like you want to drink. Yeah. Well, if that's wrong because you know what it's done to your life, then why haven't they gone away? Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's the same kind of principle. Don't you understand? Emotions are not logical. Right. Most, emotions and logic are often in contradiction to each other. But think about this. If indeed you're trying to, for this, for example, this guy, mm -hmm. if he's trying to end the relationship with this other woman, mm -hmm. and then he goes 45 days, and then mm -hmm. he contacts her again, think about how unfair that is to the other woman. He said that. Oh, what did he say? Well, he said in his, while he was talking to me about it, he said, I know that I'm not good for her mm. and she has kids and all of this stuff. And so he said, I, if, you know, I know that long-term my goal is to want to try and save my marriage. And he had a bunch of reasons why he didn't want to do that. Mm -hmm. But he he definitely, he was in, he is in this deterioration space to a T. I mean, just going back and forth between knowing what needs to happen, not wanting to do it, all of it. So mm -hmm. ultimately at the end, he said, what do I, what should I do? And I said, cut off all contact. 
and he mm-hmm. go ahead and change your number. Yeah, as a matter of fact, that that's let's get to that in just a second. But think about this again. By by contacting her again, he elongates her hope that perhaps someday they can be together, which because of the fact he's made a decision, I'm going to make my marriage work. I really am going to make my marriage work. Then by continuing that hope on the other woman, not only is it unfair to her, it is certainly not a loving act. Mm-hmm. Now, I know that he would say, no, 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 I do that because I feel this intense emotion toward her. I feel this love toward her. That's why I do it. But you know, if you're really going to love another person, if you're truly going to love another person in a way that is not selfish, then you do what's best for the other person. And by contacting her again, he's not doing what's best for her because he continues that hope that somehow they'll be together. He keeps messing up her life. And so we say, stop all contact. Now, everybody benefits if you stop all contact. You do. Because if you continue to have the hope that you might talk to that person again, it's taking longer for your limerence to go away. If you're married and you're trying to put your marriage back together, having any contact with the other person continues to destroy the ability to do that and causes great consternation, pain, agony to your spouse. And as we've already said, it is unfair. It is unkind It's just mean if you get right down to the bottom line of it to the other person because you continue to develop that hope within him or her that you're going to be together. A lot of people are asking more about your story. They're saying, how can I find out more about Joe and Alice's story? Why did he call her and decide to take her back? Why did she say yes? Where can I find more information about this? Well, they're not going to like my answer, (laughs) but I tell most of the story only in our workshops. Now, I've told little pieces of it in some of my books. I've told little pieces of it on some of the podcasts. Uh, I've even brought Alice onto podcasts before to answer people's questions about it. But the, the majority of the story I share only in our workshops. And if you're thinking, why? Well, it's because of the fact that some of it's pretty bad. And uh, I don't share it with the general public. I only share it with people who are in similar situations and have demonstrated that by coming to our workshop to work on their marriages because their marriages are in serious trouble. You see, I tend to trust that kind of a group more with my story because I know they get it. They're not going to be sitting in judgment on me. They're not going to be gossiping about me and telling that story someplace else. And so uh, you're not going to like the answer I said that to begin with, but if you want to hear that whole story, then you come to one of the workshops that I'm doing. Now, I don't even do all the workshops. I try to be there for every workshop, but it's not always my story in the workshop. Um, otherwise, I don't know that you're going to hear all of that story. We may touch on some of those subjects a little bit, mm-hmm. like why did I ask Alice to come back to me? Mm-hmm. But I'll only give you a superficial reason. I can't give you the real reason because that's part of what is so intimate, uh, so personal to me that even though my wife, Alice, knows it, uh, I've not even told my daughters that part because it's just so painful. And I just don't want them to know all the crap I did. So forgive me if that uh, if that offends you. I don't mean to. It's just that there's some things I just don't tell everybody. And I'm certainly not going to put out there where my children and grandchildren can run into it. 
However, I do believe that if you go through some of the podcasts, previous podcasts on Marriage Radio, our podcast that's on iTunes and Google Play, then you can hear some from Alice. So just as Joe was saying, it's not going to be the whole story or anything like that, but she answered some questions. She talked about some things, so you can hear some of her side of it as well. I think what people are really looking for when they're asking this question is, why did you come around? And they want that same hope for their spouse. Yeah. Well, that's part of the story I'm going to tell. Um, it's just too personal. I can give you the general principle, and that general principle is this. Uh, I went ahead and divorced Alice so I could be with the other person, and then the other person left me. Um, not immediately, but left me. And then I wound up uh, living a pretty wild lifestyle for a while because I had so vilified Alice that I didn't want to go back to her. Uh I had made her so bad in my mind so I could justify the things that I had done that I, I did not want to go back to her. There are some things that she did that helped lead me back. Remember, people don't leave what they have unless they believe what they're going to is better. And over time, as Alice continued to demonstrate great strength, what I mean by that is that uh, when it came to the divorce, she stood up for some things, even though I didn't want her to, but she was strong and stood up for them anyway. At the time, in the short term, it made me bad, and I said all kinds of bad things to her, like, this just proves why I shouldn't be with you anymore. She ignored that and stood up for herself and did what she should do anyway. She was not mean. She was not unkind, but she was definitely strong. And over time, that was a factor like, wow, I'm seeing a side of Alice that uh, I can't run over. She's strong. And then through the divorce, I saw her every other weekend when I went to see the kids. And she was always polite and kind and sweet and gentle. She didn't try to manipulate me back. She didn't get angry and say all kinds of terrible things to me either. She was just amazingly strong. And what she did was she finally showed me that going back to her was better than being alone. Now, there's some, also some personal things that happened on my side. Um, my life deteriorated pretty badly. I got into some things I shouldn't have gotten into, things like that. But all through that, I think the point to hear is this. Because Alice kept doing the things that we now teach people to do. Nobody taught Alice. She just figured out her own how to do it. But because Alice kept doing the things we teach people to do, she finally got to the point where I saw being with her it was much better than being without her. People don't leave what they have unless they believe what they're going to is better. So the real key here is the behavior of Alice, not all the crappy stuff I did. Mm. Which is something you, no matter where you are in this process, have complete control over. That's why we suggest strongly that you uh, you come to our program if your spouse will come with you. Come mm -hmm. to our three-day weekend. If not, what other resources can teach them these same things? Yeah, well, we have a ton. There's no lack of what we can offer you. You can start with going to our website, looking at the articles, listening to our podcast, like I mentioned before, which you can find on iTunes and on Google Play. Get on our mailing list because we have webinars every couple of weeks where we are deep diving into current issues that people are dealing with. And we would love to have you on one of those. You can call us. You can talk with the people on our team, our client relations reps, where they can help guide you to articles, podcasts. If you're saying, I just want to talk to a real person. I get to that point a lot when I'm dealing with, with businesses or other things. And I'm saying, I just want a real person to ask questions to so that they can make it simple for me. And that's what we've moved away from in the world. But we have a real team who can answer those questions for you. Would love to talk to you. 
And they can also give you information about the coaching that we offer, which is astounding. We have full faith and confidence in our coaches. I've never heard anyone say anything bad about it. I never have either. We also have some online courses. Absolutely, which our client relations reps can share more about that with you. And then, of course, we have our marriage transforming workshop, which we do here in Middle Tennessee that people travel from everywhere from. You might be thinking, I can't come to Middle Tennessee. I live in Chicago. (laughs) Well, I understand how you feel. It's definitely a flight or a long drive, but we have people come every time we do it from Canada, Caribbean, Australia, London, Beijing, Beijing, Germany, Germany. Mm -hmm. Guam, all of these places, because it's that worth it. I mean, Mm -hmm. everyone will tell you it is absolutely worth it, no matter what it takes. Mm -hmm. And we believe that as well. So in any of those areas, we can help, we can offer guidance, we can offer um, at least something for where you are and starting where you are and helping you get to where you want to be. Thank you for joining us for this week's episode of Relationship Radio. Please refer to the notes in the description to learn more about any resources mentioned in this episode. Please visit our website at marriagehelper.com for more information about our online courses, marriage workshops, and coaching. If you would like immediate help for your marriage situation, then click on the link on the screen to schedule a free marriage strategy call with one of our team members. We exist to help save marriages and strengthen families. We look forward to interacting with you on the next episode of Relationship Radio.